Father, we just ask that uh, you would remind us daily that you really have blessed us in unimaginable ways. Uh, We live in a great land, uh, the best place, Lord, ever to ever live in this world other than paradise before we messed it up. Uh, Father, it's easy for us to begin to take uh, for granted uh, the real blessings that we enjoy every day. And so, Father, just remind us uh, daily that, uh, Lord, in a sense, that every day would be a memorial day. And we will remember, uh, Lord, your great blessings upon us. And, Father, that we would do everything within our power to endeavor to make sure that the people who come after us would have the same freedoms that we have enjoyed ourselves. Uh, let us not uh, become lazy. Let us not fall into the trap of, uh, of the world of, of believing that it's all about me and, and the only thing that matters is how things affect me. Uh, let us, Lord, daily be about our Father's business. Uh, and, Lord, we just praise you this morning for all the sacrifices that have been made by people uh, on our behalf, down through the ages, so many people, Lord, have given their lives that we would have the freedom to come this morning to worship you without hindrance. Uh, freedom of speech, uh, freedom to bear arms, freedom, all kinds of freedoms, Lord, that most people will never know in their whole lifetime. You've granted to us, Lord. And we thank you, Father, for all of those people that have in the past, they've, they've given their lives for our benefit, that we would have these freedoms today. And so let us not take them for granted, Lord. Not Let us not take the circumstances uh, for granted either. And, Lord, we know that you call upon each one of us every day to give our own lives up, in a sense. Maybe not physically, Lord, but in other ways, every day. To give our lives up for you for the advancement of the gospel in this world. And pray, Lord, that we would show ourselves to be faithful with every day that passes. May we consider every morning, Lord, as the day begins, how is it that I can serve my Lord Jesus this day? And that we would remember that prayer all through the day. And at the end of that day, Lord, that we would be able to say that we've truly been about your business. We know that we have, and these are real ways that we've done that. Father, we realize that we live in a day where this idea of retirement has become the norm. Where we believe that our lives are given to work and other things for many, many years. But then we come to this point in our life where now it's my life. Now it's my time to do what I want to do. Lord, we know that that doesn't even exist in the Bible. We are called to serve you with every day that we breathe air from the very beginning to the very end. And just pray, Lord, that we truly would be about that. Father, we do want to pray in regard to the martyrs this morning. Maybe we should have a memorial day for the martyrs of the church. Because, Lord, we know that 
there are real and practical reasons and ways that what they've done has had more impact upon us than the other things that we're talking about. It's hard for us to imagine, Lord, giving your life just simply because you refuse to deny Jesus before certain people. But multitudes of our brothers and sisters have experienced that. And Lord, we understand that there are places today that we have brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus right now whose lives are under threat just simply because they refused to deny him. And some of them will lose their lives as a result of it. We don't think about this, but more people were killed for their faith in Christ in the last century than in any other century before that. The world around us is very different than the world in which we live. The world around us is hostile in many places to Christianity. Hostile, Lord, to you. And so we pray for those people, Lord, today, maybe even this very moment, that will give their life just simply because they refuse to deny the Lord they know and love. That you would give them strength and that their sacrifice would not be to no avail. But it will accomplish, Lord, that which you intend for it to. We want to pray this morning also for our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, realizing, Lord, that it's part of the church, but it's not exclusively the church. We're thankful, Father, for this denomination that is so church-planting-oriented. So many churches, Lord, underway right now that, that start out just as Springs did so many years ago with just a handful of people. They require pastors, men that have been called to this special service, very often with their wives and sometimes, Lord, with their children. And we just pray, Father, for all of those right now that you're calling to, the, to this special kind of ministry. That you would, you would make their path made known to them. That they would know your calling. And that they would respond to it. And as a result, the church would grow. And people will come to faith. And people who have faith will grow deeper in their relationship with one another and with you. And we just thank you, Father, for this great heart that our denomination has to start new churches. And it's the way we approach missions, too. It's not just here in the United States, but it's the way we do mission work all over this world. Very often, starting new churches, encouraging nationals in, in helping them and assisting them in their own land to start new churches. 
And so, Father, we pray for MTW that the work would just go, continue to go on as it is and that it would grow and blossom and, and that this would become a world force. And we pray, Father, most of all, that your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon this world because we know that until the Spirit goes forth before us, that what we do, we do to no avail. The Spirit must change the hearts of people, must prepare the soil for the Word to be planted. So we pray, Father, that you would do this. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would send forth the Spirit, as you promised you would, in great power and great might. We pray, Lord, this morning as well, as we open up this very important book, that you've given us this very great gift that you've given to us. We've enjoyed our time here, Lord, so much. And we thank you for it. We pray, Lord, that the lessons that we learned would not be lost easily. But they would settle deep within us, in our minds and in our hearts. And have something to do with the manner in which we live our life from this point onward. We confess, Lord, our need to you to enlighten us, to teach us. After all, you are the great teacher. And we just pray, Lord, that you would come this morning and you would teach your people. And, Lord, the knowledge that we gained would not be that knowledge that is so fleeting so often, but it would be knowledge that would settle in our mind and in our heart. And it would be knowledge, Lord, that we would take and apply to the manner in which we live our life. And that we would share what we learn with other people. So we give this time to you and we pray, Lord, that you would use it to the utmost of your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. I feel absolutely, totally completely inadequate to describe to you what the new heavens and the new earth will truly be like. What the new Jerusalem will be like. What life will be for those who are in Christ for all of eternity It's unimaginable. Our imaginations, and I think some of us have very, very active imaginations. Even in the deepest of imaginations, we can't begin to comprehend the fullness and the grandness and the greatness and the majesty of all of it. The land prepared for us that we would be the people of God and that we would dwell with God and he would dwell among us. We're picking up in Revelation chapter 21 uh, this morning. 
We studied the first eight verses last week, and we're going to pick up in verse 9 this uh, today. So let me read, if you would. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come, here, I shall show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names were written on them, which are those of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a golden measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with a rod, 1,500 miles, its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. And the material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city Wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nation shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. In the daytime, and in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. May God bless this reading of his holy words. One of the angels that has been previously known by John comes to him. One of those angels that had had one of those seven bowls of the wrath of God as we've studied before John has been told a number of times through the book of Revelation to come here, to come up here, that he will be shown 
something. This time it is the bride, the wife of the Lamb, the church, in its fullness and in all of its glory. Not one member missing. There's a lot of overlapping you'll find in the book of Revelation in places with the book of Daniel. There's also quite a bit of overlap with the book of Ezekiel and some similarities and things and in that. And, and we find here in, in verse 10, he carried me away in the spirit, reminds you very much of the time when Ezekiel was in the Babylonian captivity and the spirit picked him up and carried him to Jerusalem and showed him visions of the apostasy that was going on in Jerusalem, in particular the things that were going on in the temple, the false worship and the idols and things that had been erected there. The Spirit took him up on a great mountain, and we know that uh, a great and high mountain, so that he would be able to see a great distance. Most of us at one time or another were drawn to the mountains, and one of the reasons we like to go to the mountains is because you can go up on the mountain, you can see long distances that you normally can't see if you're down at ground level. And there's something about the majesty and the greatness of the earth that you get from the perspective of being on a mountaintop that you just would not get otherwise. It's not the first great and high mountain that John has been taken up on. Remember the time when he took John and James, his brother, and Peter and Andrew? up on that mountain of transfiguration where Jesus was transfigured before them. They heard the Father speaking from heaven out of the cloud. So John has some experiences with high mountains. The angel took him here for the reason that he would have a clear vision and clear view of what was proceeding and that was that the, uh, the the new city of Jerusalem was descending from heaven down to earth that John would see it in all of its greatness and all of its glory the holy city the dwelling place the eternal dwelling place on earth of the people of God and of the Lamb in their midst. Having the glory of God should bring remembrance to us of when the tabernacle was erected and then the temple was built later on and and all the articles had finally been brought into the special place prepared for them and they had these dedication services. And in the service, the glory of the God, we're told the glory, the Shekinah glory of God filled the temple. It filled the tabernacle. The glory of God will fill the new Jerusalem. The new heavens and the new earth. Many places in here we find costly stones mentioned. Things we would consider to be precious stones. And it's really crazy because you know, diamonds ultimately are nothing but rocks. And we just happen to put a lot of 
lot of value in them. And we know this. We know that they're called precious and all of that because very often they do beautiful things with light. Austin knows all about this. <laughs> Real diamond expert back there. But they can't produce any light themselves. I mean, diamonds don't make light. Gold doesn't make light. Emeralds and all these other things mentioned here, they don't make light. But they can do remarkable things with light. Reflect it. And, and, and break it down into its various colors and et cetera, and et cetera, et cetera. And so there's a great beauty that you and I see in these things that we don't always see in lots of other things. All of these gems, all of these jewels will be reflecting the light of the glory of God. in its brilliance, in its magnificence, in its majesty. It's interesting to read in verse 12 that there is a great and high wall around the city. If you think about walled cities in the Bible, they were very highly sought after. In other words... One of the things that, uh, that the spies reported when, they, they, when Joshua sent them into to the, to the promised land to spy things out, one of the things they came back and said that they have many walled cities. Walled cities were very valuable in, the, in those days because they had the ability to protect the people who lived in them. Jerusalem in particular, the old Jerusalem was noted to be a city that was unconquerable. I mean, told in the book of Joshua that when, when the Judahites first went into the, the portion of land that was granted to them, that they tried to, 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 to break into Jerusalem and overcome the Jebusites, and they weren't able to do it. They gave up on it. It wasn't until the days of King David, hundreds of years later, that he actually went in and took Jerusalem. But in the Bible, walls around cities protect the people inside. They keep the bad people out. But just remember, there aren't any bad people left. This city has no need to be protected by a wall. But there's a wall. And I would say that it certainly has a purpose, and we don't know for certain exactly what that is, but it probably something like this, to designate this is a special place. Not just part of the new creation, but the central part of the new creation. The names of the 12 tribes are written on 12 gates. Now, what are gates used for? Gates are used for access through walls. If they're closed, you can't get through. If they're open, you can get through. 
These are unusual gates because these, these gates are never closed. Surprisingly. But one of the things that I think we can glean from this is 12 tribes of Israel never can see the foundation stones mentioned a couple of verses after this. And on those you have the names of the 12 apostles. I think this is one of the reasons things we should glean from this is the unity of the people of God brought together in the New Jerusalem, the Old Testament people with the New Testament people of God. That there's unity. There's one people. Now I want to read something to you. This is from Ephesians chapter 2. I love this particular passage. Because uh, it speaks about these things. And Paul is addressing people who were Gentiles. That one time were distant from Christ, but now they've been brought up close. And joined together with Jewish brothers and sisters in Jesus. But now, Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near to the blood of Christ, or by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So there's no dividing wall left in this new city of Jerusalem. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far all away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Old Testament and New Testament, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And this is one of the things we really need to glean from these passages is the unity of the church. Some people will ask you, when did the church begin? And they'll say, well, when Jesus came, that's when the church began. That's not really the general view of most people in our denomination. What we believe is that the church began back in the very beginning. That the church has always been, and what we're talking about here is the people of God. There's always been a group of the people of God set apart from everyone else in every period of time. That is the church. Verse 15 sounds very reminiscent of Ezekiel. Remember the the, the vision that that God gave of Ezekiel of this great temple that would be built. There was an angel that came with a measuring rod to make all the measurements. And you see the same thing happen here in verse 15. Verse 16 is interesting. The city's laid out as a square. actually comes down to being a cube. 
Now, when we think about cities, we very often think about, well, yeah, you, we think about the physical aspects of a city. We think big buildings, skyscrapers, all kinds of freeways, highways and byways, and uh, this and the other. But let me ask you something. Can a city be a city without people in it? People are what makes a city a city. The masses of people. Everything else is just the consequence of that. No, no people, no city, right? This city is absolutely massive, and it's, it's in the form of a cube, too, which is really unusual. When we, when we measure cities, we don't usually measure them in height. We might measure them in width and length, but not in height. It's hard for you and I to think in 3D <laughs> because that's what we're talking about. Uh, but it's massive. If you just on one side, if you took the 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, it's roughly two-thirds the si- size of the continent of Australia. So we're not talking about, we're not talking about a city. That, that there's any city in the world that comes anywhere close to being the size, the dimensions of the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem far exceeds the size of any city that's ever existed on earth by a whole lot, not just a little, a lot. And we might ask the question, why? And one of the answers that I would imagine we might come up with is this, is that it has to be that big to accommodate all the people who live in it. In other words, we have reason to believe that in the New Jerusalem, that we're going to dwell together with lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and more than we can imagine other believers. There'll be a lot of people lost. There'll be a lot of people who don't find their way. But the community of believers that will be with the Lamb forevermore is a huge number. Lots of people that have entered through the narrow gate, through the generations. Verse 18, it gets into the material, the wall, and this is where we start getting into all these different kinds of gemstones. Again, as we said before, that they're just rocks. <laughs> they're just rocks, and, 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 and not all of them here are that, that valuable, but many of them are considered by people to be very valuable. It's only because we put value to them because most of them tend to be on the rare side and because they're pretty to look at and, and that sort of thing. And they're precious for a lot of reasons, and one of those is they tend to be on the rare side. That's what gives them value. But would diamonds be 
be that valuable if they were as abundant as the sand is on, on a beach in Daytona? No, they tend to be somewhat rare, and that gives value to them. But can you imagine a whole city made from precious stones? And again, just remember, what they do is they do marvelous things with light. I mean, the beauty, the glow, the, the, the intensity, the immensity of all of it is just beyond our wildest imagination. Gates that are made of, not made from pearls, but made from one big pearl. I mean, you could see some advantages of having round gates, right? A lot easier to roll. But the interesting thing is this, is even though there are gates and there are pearls that are these gates, it sounds from here, there's reason to believe that they're never clo- gates are never closed. And I think it demonstrates some things, and one of those is this, is that we have unlimited access to the city. There's nothing going to keep us from going in whenever we want, as much as we want. It could be that we're going to actually live in the city. Verse 22 may be the most important of all. I soon saw no temple in it. Now, what are temple? What, were, what were, was the temple used for? What was the tabernacle used for? Well, one of the things was this: is place of sacrifice, and we need to understand that sacrifice is done here. There's no more sacrifice going on. Period, ever. These sacrifices have been made. The other thing is, the temple was a place of worship. Centralized place for people to go to worship God. The Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb are the temple. Worship is ongoing, worship is unceasing. Worship is the focal point of everything that goes on in the city. There's a sense in which you could say the whole city is a temple. But just remember this, that in the New Testament, the temple is redefined. I mean, the foundation for this is in the Old Testament, but you have to kind of dig deep to find it. But it's very clear in the New Testament that the people of God are temples. They are the temple of God because the Holy Spirit dwells in them. I don't know about you, but I don't feel much like a temple. 
If you want to know what heaven light is like, guys, this here on Sunday morning is as close as you're going to get in this world. That time when we can leave what's going on out there behind and we come here and we meet face to face with our God and spend time fellowshipping with him and worshiping him. If you don't like it now, what makes you think you're going to like it in heaven? If you don't love it now, what makes you think you're going to enjoy the rest of eternity doing really nothing but that? I mean, if worship is not a central part of your life, of your being, something that you take great pleasure in doing, you need to rethink some things because you're not where you need to be. Sometimes when you talk about these things, people say, we're just going to be worshiping, you know, constantly, unrelenting. It's going to be boring after a while, but let me tell you, it will not be. For a lot of reasons. One of those is this, is we will see Jesus as Jesus is. Shackles thrown off. We will see him as he is. In his fullness, in his greatness, in all of his glory. And we will not be able to do anything else. But worship him as a result of it. It's hard to imagine creation with no sun and no moon sun gives us light in the daytime and the moon gives us light at night until we really think about things in other words would you would you classify the sun and the moon as two things that are essential to life on earth as it is to our lives Could we live without the sun? No, for a lot of reasons. One of those is plants have to have it, and we have to have plants, and, you know, there's no sun, there's no plants, there's no us. There's no anything. The light of God will shine upon the nations. Just remember this, that every people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation that's ever been on planet Earth will be there in that community. No distinctions made any longer. There will be no racism in heaven at all. Period. That promise that God made to Abraham so many, many years ago that all of the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Fulfilled. To the utmost. Our passion will be the glory of God. It will consume us. And rightly so.
Verse 24 is, verse 27 is important. I told you a couple of weeks ago or last week that we were done with judgment. We were gonna, not going to be talking about judgment anymore. But you're going to find these little gentle reminders as we go through these last couple of chapters. Statements made that make it ever clear once again that not everyone is going to go to the celestial city. We've already studied how Satan and the beasts and everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life has been cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Now the reminder, verse 27, And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. All God's doing, all according to God's eternal and perfect plan. God did not start to love you at the time you were conceived. I mean, we've known some people in this room for 25 or 30 years. I've known Carolyn longer than I've known anybody else in here, I think. She and I knew each other in high school. It's hard to conceive of knowing people forever. It's not what we, what we experience in life. I mean, there was a time that we, everybody in this room, there was a time we didn't know anybody else in this room. And we've come to know each other over these years and the relationships we have with each other are not superficial, they're deep. They're heart relationships. It's not just, our lives are intertwined with one another. You are a very big part of my life, and I think I'm a very big part of your life. It's easy for us to get comfy and cozy where we are. The challenge for us is to go forth into the world, which God calls us to do every day. And to bear the banner of Christ no matter where we go. Sometimes we want to pick and choose who we think would make good Christians. I've heard people say this over and over and say, they're so nice, they'd make a really good Christian. <laughs> the thing about it is, is this is very often I am surprised at the people that God calls into his kingdom because they're not the people that I would think would be the people who would come. Let me tell you, one of my best friends, when I became a believer, he looked at me one day and he told me, he said, Keith, you're the last person on the face of the earth I ever thought would become a Christian. There are people in your life, 
and you think the same thing about those people. And the reason you believe that is because you do not know the power of God. You don't know the saving power of Christ. You don't understand it. How many people in this room can have the same testimony as me? That there are people in your life that when you became a believer, they were shocked. I can see that. We're called to be about our Father's business. A big part of that is worship. Another big part of it is encouraging other people to worship.